Hello and welcome everyone to episode 5 of On Liberty, coming to you live from the Center for Independent Studies in Sydney, Australia. I'm your host, Salvatore Babonis, and joining me today is Jacinta Price, Director of the CIS Indigenous Program. Jacinta will be talking to us today about what social distancing means in the wide open spaces of remote Australia, where local quarantines and so-called biosecurity zones have become a way of life. Jacinta Price, how are you? I'm good, thank you, considering. Um, but, yeah, no, I'm doing quite well. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, considering, I was, I was going to say, considering that I know that in addition to your work for CIS, you're also a town councillor in Alice Springs. Mm. <laughs> that must give yeah. you some interesting perspective <laughs> on coronavirus preparedness. Uh, can you share some insights? I mean, what does this mean for local government where you are? Well, for local government, we've been we've wanting to make sure that we're supporting our community to the best of our ability, uh, particularly for our ratepayers. I think it's really important. So we've uh, we've made sure we've put some measures in place that can assist uh, ratepayers ratepayers if uh, if they need to apply for hardship uh, through this period. And but the interesting thing is, I think. Uh, uh, the majority of ratepayers are doing okay for now, and considering our circumstances, I think we're down now to three uh, active cases of uh, of coronavirus, and three weeks we for three weeks we haven't had a new case. So, um, you know, I'm sort of glad we didn't have any knee jerk reactions to the circumstances where we, you know, put in some drastic measures to deal. Uh, with, with the possibility of hardship, uh, we've sort of just watched as it's all unfolded and 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 um, acted upon the information that we've been given. And I think we could be in a better uh, economic position than we thought. Right. Now, a quick shout out to uh, Diane and Rosalind who are here watching. But I'm also expecting uh, my mother, mom, if you're there, hello, and some other. We get a lot of people watching from overseas as well. Uh, can you help ignoramuses like me and maybe some of my <laughs> friends give us some context on Alice Springs? I mean, mm. how big is it? How remote is it? What are the challenges of living there even when there's not coronavirus? Sure. Well, I guess we're right smack bang in the middle of Australia. Uh, any major city from us is uh, is 1,500 kilometres north or south. Uh, right. That's 1,000 miles or so. Yeah. The, yeah, that's that's about 1,000 miles or so. And, uh, and then our, our closest town, next sort of uh, town, is about 500 kilometres from where <laughs> we are. So if you want to drive to the next town... And by town, like, how many people are we talking? Well, I, I think the population of a place like Tennant Creek... Now, don't quote me on this because I know... <laughs> no, our, no, no, unofficial. Our, unofficial. our population here in uh, Alice Springs is um, just below 30,000. Uh, right. So Tennant Creek is probably half um, the population. Wow. So oh. if you want to drive to the nearest town of 15,000 people... That's 500 kilometers, 300 miles away. Wow. So are there are there full hospital facilities in Alice Springs? In Alice Springs, there are, yes. We've, we've got um, great hospital facilities here. Uh, and there's, a, there's a hospital also in Tennant Creek. And, and then for the remote communities, they have uh, clinics uh, in, in most communities as well. So, but yeah, but any sort of major um, issues 
uh, you know, the treatments that people have to go through, you have probably have to fly, uh, you know, either to Darwin, uh, our capital, or down to Adelaide or, or one of the major capital cities uh, for those sorts of treatments. Mm. Right. And I'll just say a quick hello, you know, Bill in Texas, Mike in Pittsburgh, Gay here in Sydney, uh, Stephen, you have to help me just into, is Brissy Brisbane? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's Brisbane. <laughs> right, we've got, got Stephen and Chrissy. Greg Lindsay is here, says hello. And uh, my mom says hello, Elizabeth. So hello to everybody. Um, uh, so look, uh, in the coronavirus situation, what does that remoteness mean? I mean, if someone were to get coronavirus in Alice Springs, presumably they're the intensive care facilities there. Is that right? So uh, there is a, a clinic that was set up here in Alice Springs to deal especially with coronavirus. Uh, it's a huge issue because uh, if, when, when it first came about, there was a lot of concern about if it were to get into uh, remote communities, it would have absolutely devastating impact uh, because of the way of life for a lot of Indigenous people who often live in overcrowded situations um, you know, there's still a lot of education going on in terms of practicing good hygiene. Uh, and and um, the Aboriginal Medical Services Alliance of the Northern Territory have were got onto the front foot and made sure that there was messaging being um, sent out throughout communities in different languages. Uh, but of course, communities have gone into complete lockdown and they went into, some communities went into lockdown quite early not right. uh, allowing people sort of in and out. Uh, and now, of course, if you leave a community to come back in, you have to spend two weeks in quarantine um, back in your community again. Uh, there were concerns for things like grog runners. Um, for things like what? Grog runners. So individuals who would, you know, in some cases be taking uh, alcohol into restricted right. areas, into communities uh, right. and you know they know where all the back roads are so uh, I think the authorities cottoned on obviously to that quite early uh, and, and got onto the situation. Uh, I know of a situation up in, further in the Northern Territory where uh, that such individuals had uh, found a back road into a community so the authorities went and felled trees to ensure that oh. those tracks could not be used. So. Seriously. So you have police setting up roadblocks and almost like a military situation. Oh, yeah. Yes. And of course, that's what's happened since our borders closed. Uh, there were, yeah, there's been police and there's been military police uh, on, on the main roads coming in and out of Alice Springs to ensure that any visitors that arrive have to go directly into quarantine uh, for okay. two weeks. Uh, and um, generally, I think most people in the community, uh, you know, we're not sort of experiencing the same sorts of things that are going on in right. places like Sydney and Melbourne. Uh, our uh, authorities, uh, our chief minister said, you know, the authorities won't necessarily be, you know, applying those stringent measures uh, because right. I think... I think we'd probably see an increase um, in individuals, you know, having to face court for uh, yeah. some, of, some of the measures that are in place. But in general terms, I think the, the public have been doing a pretty good job uh, in terms of the, the um, social distancing 
and that sort of thing. Uh, and everyone is well aware of of uh, the the dangers that COVID nineteen poses, particularly for some of the most vulnerable in remote communities. Mm. Right. Now, let me say a few more hellos. Ines says hello. Uh, gay reminds me that it is not Brissy, it is Brizzy. <laughs> Brisbane. Uh, Rosalind would like to compliment the painting behind you. I don't know if you want to talk about that later. We'll get to that. Sure. But, first, but, but first, I have to ask you, uh, you mentioned these internal kind of internal boundaries uh, going up. Uh, and, and I've heard of biosecurity zones. Now, I, I know that Australia has had biosecurity zones before the coronavirus relating to agricultural products, things like that. Are, are, do we have new biosecurity zones for coronavirus or how is all this being, how is all this playing out? Could you help us yeah. to understand? So in the Northern Territory, uh, the government has established biosecurity zones. So basically, the, uh, the Shire areas, for example, there's the Central Desert Shire, McDonald Shire, Barclay Shire, and there are more up in the top end of Australia. Uh, so, so basically, these areas uh, uh, have been turned into biosecurity zones. Uh, so the municipality of Alice... for coronavirus. Specifically for coronavirus. Okay. I mean, the interesting thing is for Alice Springs, we are contained within our municipality. And outside of that, uh, for example, in the biosecurity zone, people can travel from a you know, community which is, you know, communities that are 500 kilometres apart from one another. Uh, however, I think the vast majority of people are understanding the need to stay put in their communities. Uh, I, I know that a lot of my family members um, uh, are doing that. I'm watching, it's interesting watching the bored Facebook posts and, you know, they can't wait to sort of get back to a normal sense of life. But um, but people are, uh, I, I think, you know, there's definitely a sense of fear of the of the possibility of, of the harm that this virus can do. So. The people are attending to stay within their communities because they're urged to, even though they can travel um, around the biosecurity uh, zone that that they are in. Which you know, there there are those of us who'd love to go camping. I mean, we just had you know the the Easter long weekend, and uh, you know, for for Central Australians, one of the best things to do is to jump in the car, throw the kids in the car, and and you know, and go camping over that weekend. But um, and we're sort of saying, you know, what harm can it do? We're, we're actually going where it's we're more isolated from other human beings. But uh, but no, we've we've given up our our freedom of camping um, for the moment. <laughs> for the moment. <laughs> now we had another hello from Jamie on Facebook. Thanks for watching. We are also available on that platform as well. Look, the, what you said raised the idea for me that we even talk about different countries' models for addressing the coronavirus pandemic but does australia have different models within australia i mean has this has the stop it at the borders model worked in the northern territory and, and can we perhaps learn the lesson that all of australia should have done that i think it certainly has i mean you know from what we've seen obviously in australia state by state uh they tend to be doing their own sort of thing i don't know how effective it's been for queensland obviously you know you've got the border that runs straight through the middle of a town 
but certainly for us in the Northern Territory, it, it has worked uh, quite well. Uh, you know, I think the fact that, I mean, we've wanted uh, our uh, our local airport here in Alice Springs to be an international airport. I think the fact that it's not has done us a favour um, in, in keeping us, you know, relative, well, coronavirus-free, relatively coronavirus-free. Um, and so it has been quite easy. I think Territorians, I mean, I know that when measures started ramping up, I was in Victoria at the time, and um, my 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 husband was was supposed to be performing, and um, because he's a touring artist, a musician, and uh, suddenly these measures were ramping up, and we looked at one another and thought, well, you know, it was the beginning of the week. I said, I don't think you're going to have a gig this weekend. I think we're probably <laughs> going to have to fly back home. Um, <laughs> And um, sure enough, we did that, and I, I had to change my flight for a few days earlier. Had I had I remained on the same flight, I would have been on a flight with someone who, in fact, had the virus who came oh, wow. into the Northern Territory. Oh wow! Uh, but but I think Territorians sort of went, all right, let's all get back home and get into lockdown. And we've obviously been, you know, the safest uh, territory in the country. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. Now, you know, you know, the name of this program is On Liberty. And of course, CIS is a classically liberal think tank. Ha have that kind of, I think we can almost say that kind of uh, firm borders approach mm -hmm. in the Northern Territory. Has that allowed people to exercise greater liberty within the Northern Territory, within Alice Springs? I mean, mm -hmm. how free is life there compared to, say, what you've heard from Sydney? I think it has, actually. I mean... We can, uh, you know, I mean, you can go down the street uh, and, and do your shopping and, and go about the place and no one is going to, you know, you're not going to get approached about, you know, what you're doing and how long you're going to be there and do you have an excuse? You don't have to come up with an excuse. Everyone's sort of going about, um, you know, their their day. Uh, right. And, and it, it, it looks like business as usual, apart from, you know, you can't sort of, you can't, there's areas that are blocked off from people sitting in public uh, spaces. And uh, because we're, a, I think, smaller communities kind of band together as well. And right. we've had a lot of support for a lot of uh, restaurants and cafes who probably are now more known because of what's going on and are probably getting more business uh, because of what's going on, um, you know, due to coronavirus. I mean, there are cafes and, and restaurants that are, I'm, are saying, oh, that's quite good. I'll have to try that out. And when you're from Alice Springs, you, you usually appreciate going to places like Sydney to eat. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I, I think, you know, our local businesses are stepping up to the mark and, and there's a lot of community support in that regard. Right. Uh, so you're actually I, seeing entrepreneurial responses to the coronavirus epidemic. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's there's talks about um, creating because we don't have Uber Eats. You know, they want to create a local app for for takeaway for businesses and that sort of thing. So uh, that's certainly taking place. Businesses are coming together uh, to do deliveries. So people, um, I think, when it first kicked off, Woolworths and Coles was having such an influx for delivery orders that they stopped delivery orders. So local businesses said, well. You know, we provide produce. You know, we can we can work together. Put your order in three days before we'll deliver it to your door, and that sort of thing. So, 
Yeah, that, that's certainly uh, going on. And I, I think that's the benefits of living in um, small or regional communities is the way communities come together in, in that community spirit. Mm. Right now, I'm one of those people, I've lived in Australia 12 years, and I have never been to remote or regional Australia. I'm going to make a promise to come visit you next year <laughs> once these restrictions are off. Yes. I'm coming. <laughs> I often hear about the, you know, the lessons that city Australia can teach remote Australia. You know, the things that remote Australia gets wrong, how it's backwards, how it needs greater government intervention. It needs lies, all lies. Paternal, <laughs> that's what I want to ask you about, how it needs the paternal, uh, the mm. paternal embrace of the Australian state to fix mm. things in, in remote Australia. What you're seeing to be telling me is that there's some lessons we could learn the other way. I have always said there's lessons well, the rest more. of Australia can learn from regional and remote parts of Australia. And, I mean, I've always said it in terms of, um, uh, in terms of race relations, you know. I, I, think, I think, you know, me growing up in a place like Alice Springs with an Aboriginal mother and a white Australian father, uh, that was the norm and the norm for many kids growing up here. And so I think there's a lot that... Uh, you know, so-called civilised and, and um, more, um, you know, city, cities can learn from regional Australia. Uh, and, and I think it comes down to, you know, as I said, it's, it's about community and it's about the way you come together when times are tough um, and that sort of thing. Uh, but, yeah, uh, most certainly uh, we can learn so much from each other, but I think there's a richness most definitely in, in regional and remote areas um, about what it is to be human again. It's, it's more of that human contact and coming together. Now, in my world, in the academic world, we often hear, you know, community and the market presented as alternatives, how community means government. Mm -hmm. And when people talk about business in the market, that's somehow anti-community. But it, it sounds like you're not seeing it that way. You're seeing businesses as being embedded in the community. Absolutely. As, Absolutely. And, you know, you know, for us, our, our, our businesses, they create jobs, they keep the economy going. We've always, in the Northern Territory, pushed to support local business because, of course, you know, with, with, with the ease of the internet and buying online and that sort of thing, I mean, it's had an effect on businesses all over the place, not just in your local community. But I think circumstances such as this and, and also, you know, what we saw in Australia with, with the fires and the drought, the, this push to buy local uh, is certainly, it, it's working. And those messages are understood loud and clear, um, particularly in, you know, in, in regional and, and remote uh, communities. Definitely, business is a big part right. of, uh, big part of people's lives and, and keep, keep towns going. Mm. Now, now, we're going to get to viewer questions in a moment. And those of you who are listening right now, please do feed your questions in, preferably via chat on YouTube. And I'd like to take as many viewer questions as possible. Before we go to the viewer questions, I do have to remind everybody that the Center for Independent Studies is an independent think tank. It takes no government funding, and that includes the job keeper. Uh, payments from government. CIS has not applied for JobKeeper allowances. As a result, staff at CIS have had to take things tough. Uh, you know, I'm not going. I, I, I don't know 
know that deep, I do know that uh, people have had to make sacrifices in order to keep working at CIS and do the work they believe in. So I'm going to ask you who are listening, those of you who still have jobs like me, uh, to go ahead and make a donation. And there'll be a donation link down there. Just go to cis.org.au, click the red donate button. I myself, although I cooperate with CIS, I, I myself am a donor to CIS. I'm both a member and a donor. Uh, I'd like you to become a donor too. Even if you're already a member, that's much appreciated. But please consider if you can put an extra $40 into CIS, we'd really appreciate it. Also, if you're not a member, the friendship category of membership, which honestly gives you pretty much everything you need as a member of CIS, the friendship category is only $40. So please just go become a member at CIS. Now, before we go to questions, and, I, and we have the donate link there in the chat box, uh, I would like people to start feeding questions in while I ask Jacinta one more question before we go to viewer questions. Uh, question for you, Jacinta. Here in New South Wales, we have been having trouble getting schools reopened. They're talking about phased reopening. The unions are arguing, you know, the government wants to start with the little kids and work up. The unions are saying, no, we need to start with year 12 and work our way down. But I hear that you, in Northern Territory, your schools are already going. So what's the situation with that? Yes, uh, the kids are all, this is the second week back for kids okay. in the Northern Territory. They're, they're back at school again. Um, you know, obviously our circumstances are, are quite good for us. So this is allowed right. for kids to go back to school. Uh, I know that um, in Alice Springs, we've got a, an Indigenous boarding school, which is for, you know, kids in remote communities to come and do right. their high school and board. Uh, their circumstances are a little bit different and they're sort of... Um, they're sort of lost in between public and private school, um, that area, and they're unique in that they, they're they there set up for those schools from remote communities. And the government hasn't yet announced um, for those kids to come back to the boarding house. Uh, it's probably, you know, quite safe in the boarding house um, for them. But right. And the other thing is, um, you know, I, I'm sort of in talks with them just to find out how their circumstances are and how they're coping. But, you know, not all not all of their students will have access to remote and online uh, learning. They have their own TV channel, uh, which which helps for the kids out in remote communities. But um, they've yet to to try to um, get the ball back rolling. But uh, for all other um, uh, kids in in schools, they're 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 doing all right. Um, yeah, they're 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 back at school. I'm I'm just looking forward to um, sending my son back to boarding school in Sydney, <laughs> so he can <laughs> complete complete year twelve. <laughs> right. Well, we do have a question from Gay, uh, and it's a bit of a personal question, so I'll leave it to you if you know, how much you want to answer it. Um, Ask Gay is asking if the online trolls who often, you know, often criticize media personalities like yourself, have they been easing off during the crisis or have you faced, faced the same kind of online trolling during the crisis uh, as before? Oh, I think they've eased off a little bit. I think uh, it's really interesting because some of those more controversial sort of issues have taken a back seat, which I think is great because it's meaning that, you know, Australians are focusing on more important issues, on coming together as Australians, uh, as human beings, instead of um, being divided by by race, because obviously COVID-19 doesn't discriminate. Uh, and, um, you know, I think there's been some attempts in some articles. Uh, there was an article in the SBS talking about if, 
you know, if, if, if our Prime Minister doesn't act swiftly to support those in remote communities, it's if people start dying, you can call it genocide, which I think is absolutely ridiculous and appalling that right. one would suggest that. But those sorts of issues um, that are, you know, controversial, people just don't have time for it. Uh, and, yeah, no, I haven't really been experiencing much trolling. So I wonder if I'm doing things right, actually. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, David David specifically says that you're getting things right. So, uh, so maybe that's a good sign. We do have a question from Diane. Uh, Diane's wondering how many children from the Northern Territory attend boarding schools in Sydney and the other capital cities. Is that pretty common? It is common. It is common. There's certainly Indigenous kids from remote communities that attend boarding schools uh, in some of the major cities. And uh, I know uh, for them, they're looking forward to getting back to their school as well. And this is obviously going to impact uh, their education in, in some way, especially if, uh, you know, it's not entirely known uh, how sophisticated some family setups are in, in their remote communities to gain access to uh, the online learning, um, you know, capabilities. So, you know, it, for a lot of this, it's all sort of waiting and seeing what those impacts um, are going to be as, as, as time goes by. Um, but I guess now that we've all been through this, you know, obviously there will be so many so many measures that will have to be looked at as to where where the cracks exist, where people have fallen through, where kids have fallen in between the cracks in terms of education and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, there's certainly a lot of you know a lot of remote kids from remote um, and and regional places in the Northern Territory that are wanting to get back to their boarding schools. My son being one of them. <laughs> <laughs> now, we have a question from Mitchell, which, uh, as it happens, is exactly what we were talking about before we went on air. Uh, Mitchell points out that yesterday marked 250 years since James Cook landed or invaded, depending who you ask, he says, at Botany Bay. Uh, how can we reconcile two versions of history when it comes to race relations in Australia? Well, I think, um, you know, I've always said that it's really important that we learn our country's history in its entirety and hear all sides of uh, the story to really understand uh, one another. Uh, I think, you know, I, I, I'm not one of these people that jumps up and down and gets upset about celebrating such events as, as the, you know, 250 years since Cook's uh, landing. Obviously, if that hadn't taken place, I wouldn't exist. Um, right. Many, many, many Australians wouldn't exist. You know, it's a, it's a time in our country's history that that um, that has brought about what we have now here in Australia. Um, I'm very proud to say that uh, my cousin Julie Squires, who's an, who's a sculptor, an artist from Newcastle, um, worked very close with uh, the um, with local Indigenous people in the in the Botany area to create these wonderful bronze cast uh, whale sculptures. Um, so right. yeah, if you're down that way, most definitely mm -hmm. check them out. Uh, Teresa Adler was one of the uh, artists that she worked with, the Indigenous woman of the area, who, who, um, whose what ancestors were those who, uh, a couple of the men who greeted Cook. I don't know if greet, you know, greet him was was is the correct word, but um, first came across Cook when he came through. So. 
It's wonderful. She is my cousin from my wife's side of the family. Um, oh, really? And, okay. <laughs> and so, and she's worked in collaboration with Indigenous artists um, in many places around the country, including here in Alice Springs, to create very significant uh, works that uh, bring together both those sides, recognising both, you know, cultures um, and, and the Australian culture that, you know, that makes us that I think we should celebrate the fact that we can come right. together on, on these particular issues. So, right. yeah. Now, now, I will make another plug. Uh, we would love to have people subscribe to the channel. We're trying to get up to 10,000 subscribers. Don't ask me why. Greg out there, Greg, talk to Greg. He's the one who wants us to get up to 10,000 subscribers. It's just a random number that has no significance except for Greg's. <laughs> for Greg's sake in CIS, please do click the subscribe button. Also, we'd love to have you like the video. The more people who like the video, the more chances other people will see it. Oh, and I just got the news. We are up at uh, that 10,000 subscribers. We're now looking for 15,000 subscribers. So, okay, thanks, everybody. Let's go 20. Let's go 20. <laughs> Let's go 20. You got it. A 20... 20,000 in 2020. That's our new goal. Um, and we would, of course, really appreciate the donation. So if you're not a member, please go to cis.org.au. Don't forget the AU. Become a member of CIS uh, or please leave a donation. Now, I know you come from an interracial family yourself. There are interracial uh, parts of, to, of my family. and My family is an integrated family. But on top of that... <sighs> Everybody's interracial, right? I mean, I, I'm fond of pointing out Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> Queen Elizabeth is descended from both the Prophet Muhammad and Genghis Khan. <laughs> well, seriously? So, <laughs> seriously. Okay, so we're all interracial. Uh, you pointed out that had <laughs> Captain Cook not come, you wouldn't be here. So we, we have this, this question from... An, I, I sorry, we, we've had so many questions. We scrolled up. We had a question from Stephen who wants to know if there is a hostility to white Australia in your area, or is this just a white media projecting their own sense of guilt onto Australian race relations? It's always the white media projecting their own sense of guilt. I mean, you know, I, this idea of Growing up in a place like Alice Springs, I didn't think of anyone as different from one another. I thought we're all human. You know, the whole world came through here. And it wasn't until, uh, you know, I realised other parts of Australia where there's these issues going on in terms of race relations. I'm going, well, hang on a second. Come check out how we do it in Central Australia. And you'll realise, you know, we are just all human. And, of course, the media has a huge, you know, role to play in all of this. And, unfortunately, I find that they often do the wrong thing in terms of trying to um, make race relations stronger um, in Australia. But, you know, we're, we're, Alice Springs is made out to be a racist town with poor victimised Indigenous people and raving redneck white people. It couldn't be any further from the truth. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and you, know, you know, you're talking about interracial backgrounds and we're all different. Well, it's funny because my, um, <laughs> my mother did a, um, she did a, 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 the DNA test. DNA she, test. Well, her yeah. background, and obviously she is nothing but Warpery. That's all she is. <laughs> but, um, and I thought it was hilarious because I said, you know, they're, they're not really going to know how to categorize you. And so she was placed as, a, she was defined as being linked to Melanesia. 
Melanesia and Australia, and and, and right. that's it. Um, you know, one day I think I'd, I'd like to get my boys to do one because they their grandmother on the other side is Mauritian, so she has French Creole, uh, Malay, Indian, uh, you know, Chinese. They have a great 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 grandfather from Mozambique. Uh, but then their other grandfather has got Scandinavian, Irish, you know, Scottish, German. <laughs> it's a whole melting pot. And, uh, you know, what I tell my children is, you know, really, this whole world belongs to you. You know, you're, you're a citizen of the world. Uh, and, um, hey, you could make a land claim on just about any continent. <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, England, England did, and uh, Elizabeth gave up those claims, apparently. Uh, look, we have a question from Emily Jane. What steps do you recommend government takes to get Indigenous communities, so to speak, back to normal after the coronavirus? Is this an, or is this an opportunity for some kind of improvement or change? Well, I definitely think it's an opportunity for improvement and change. Uh, I, I think, you know, the you know the concerns that come out of communities during such time, uh, in terms of you know food safety, they wanted to make sure that they had measures in place to ensure food safety uh, and hygiene supplies and those sort of things. I think it's you know it's brought about a whole raft of issues. I I, I think when it comes to you know, when I look to communities where my family come from, I think they better now better understand there is a need to support health workers in communities uh, because they are a vital part of communities. And, you know, in some circumstances where there's feuding going on and health workers are too afraid to be in a community and, and have to evacuate, that is not good um, for that community. And um, certainly... There needs to be a push, I think, you know, community leaders themselves um, need a push to be able to support people like that uh, within their communities for anything, not, you know, but particularly for something like this, like a, like a, like a pandemic. Uh, they need to ensure that their services are supported, not just by government, but also from community members also themselves, because so, there's, there's a partnership going on, obviously, and uh, this certainly has highlighted the importance of those sorts of partnerships. Right, right. We, we have a question from William. And William, I apologize if I get it wrong for getting this question secondhand. I think he's on Facebook watching and we've got it being fed to me through a chat window uh, by our producers. But William asks, with the need to get things uh, open and going as quickly as possible, uh, what are the opportunities for people looking to get to work? And he's specifically curious about uh, job employment or job job systems that enable work experience, sorry, that help people get work experience to, to help better prepare them for job work. So maybe internship programs, that sort of thing. Do we, what are your thoughts on how we get people upskilled so that they are ready for the job market? Uh, I think that, um, it, you know, nowadays I think it's people aren't, young people aren't necessarily drawn to the idea of going to university. There's, I don't think there's a great incentive. Hey, um, don't, in don't terms say of, that. 
Don't <laughs> say just, that. I, I think John's dealing. Uh, on the line here. <laughs> I, I think um, you know. Uh, uh, skills are really important and so right, is a lot right. of experience and, and, you know, and, and certainly uh, work experience is incredibly important. And, you know, particularly, look, if it goes hand in hand with a university degree, I think it's even better uh, because quite often, <laughs> you know, when, when people then go into employment, they, they require a level of experience as well. Uh, and, and I think certainly in regional areas and remote areas, we, you know, we're seeing a sort of um, a, a decline in in those who are taking up apprenticeships and that sort of thing, and I think they are they they you know they keep our communities going, and I think it's really important for all um, you know not just young Indigenous people, uh, and we're certainly seeing an increase of Indigenous people getting through high school and through university, uh, and it continues to increase as the years years go by, uh, but but certainly. I think apprenticeships and, and trades are, are just as important, uh, and um, you know, from they're, they're they're essential workers as we're seeing. Right. You know? So. Oh, oh no! I, I'm just kidding about universities. We're we're yeah. we're, we're we're worthless. I'm especially interested in the gig economy and how the gig economy is enabling people to skip that university phase, because when you're in the gig economy, no one cares about that university credential. They care about your past reviews that people have left about your work. And so if you're highly skilled and you're able to do anything from uh, graphic design to public relations to coding, you can do it from Alice Springs. There's no need, reason to have a university degree and be in Sydney. Are you seeing the gig economy on the rise and, and the high quality gig economy on the rise in remote Australia? Most certainly, and I think absolutely. You know, when you've got access to the world through the internet, that's definitely something uh, that's taking place, and the opportunities are far greater. And you know, not only does it, with all that experience, do you have the opportunity to, uh, you know, just about go into the the job that you want in that area, but it gives you more opportunity to start up your own business as well. Uh, and there are so many, you know, opportunities for business online and that sort of thing. Uh, it's, um, you know, speaking of the gig economy, uh, you know, it, it, I'm, I'm a former artist, singer-songwriter. My, my husband is a touring singer-songwriter and that sort of thing. Right. And they are having to, they are going through an incredibly tough time right now and are having to this is their main way of connecting with audiences is through the internet. Um, and uh, I think it's going to be ever more present as we, as we go into the future, particularly because of this situation. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to, I know my husband's looking forward to um, the, the measures being lifted so that artists can start to move again, start to get in front of their audiences, festivals can start and that sort of thing right. because they, they're falling somewhere in between in terms of the job keeper, job seeker um, right. area and a lot are, are falling between the cracks. Uh, so, um, yeah, ScoMo, if you're listening, <laughs> shout out for all the artists, <laughs> get behind them and support them. <laughs> Well, speaking of the Prime Minister listening, uh, Gay wants you to run for Parliament. Jennifer says hello. Uh, but Peter Curti, our colleague, asks, 
Do you think the new spirit of being in it together will help or hinder the push for constitutional recognition of Indigenous Australia? Uh, I think the constitutional recognition part, I think if it can be done right, I think uh, Australians in general uh, would support uh, the recognition part of it. I think I think it's where the voice comes into it, the idea of this voice um, that people aren't so sure. And uh, I think because I, I think people see it as a separate entity as, a, as opposed to how Australians generally think about the fact that we do things together uh, as Australians and um, not separate from one another, divided along the lines of, of race. Uh, and I think I think this situation is reinforcing that um, thinking. Mm. Right. Now, we're going to have to wrap up in just a minute. I do want to remind people that CIS accepts no government funding of any kind, so it all relies on people like you leaving donations. So please do consider. There is that donation link in the YouTube comments section, or just go to cis.org.au. Of course, we'd love to have you as a subscriber, and we'd love for you to be liking this video. I see that there are currently uh, 47 people watching at this very moment. Only 12 of you have liked us so far. Though the good news is, We've had no thumbs down, so that's, that's something. Uh, we have a couple of final questions. Uh, you know, Richard is asking about the transition to short courses with universities now being mm -hmm. pressured to give short skills-based courses. Uh, you know, are, are we going to see that transition from the full university degree to uh, short course skills-based training? Mm. Well, it'd be interesting. I know there's certainly those who'd probably like the idea of being able to do that, but Hopefully, it brings about, um, you know, pe people who are skilled enough to then, you know, go forth and uh, in that area of employment. Uh, but I know that, you know, for many busy people out there, that's probably something that they wouldn't mind taking up and hoping that it does um, eventuate in that way. Uh, I think a lot of things are now going to be looked at differently and change somewhat um, as a result of what we've all been experiencing. Mm. Right. And Diane also uh, uh, piggybacks on that saying that uh, the skills training is the key. Uh, look, I want to ask you one final question before we, we go. We did have a question. We did a comment about it already. What about the painting behind you? Uh, what's the story? That's right. Okay. So I, in a previous life, I was uh, I worked as assistant curator with our galleries here in, our, in Alice Springs at the Aralewan Galleries, and I've also worked at the Museum and Art Gallery in the Northern Territory in Darwin. So I, um, I love the arts and Indigenous art in particular because my family were all part of the 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 movement when it all began uh, in the 1970s. And uh, but this painting behind me, I was lucky enough to to snap it up uh, by an Amada artist from the APY lands. Uh, each year we have the Desert Mob exhibition which is all the art centres throughout Central Australia coming together and some remarkably beautiful works. But we also have, and because they're quite pricey as part of that exhibition, but we have a marketplace. Everything is under $200 at the marketplace. Oh, wow. And I managed to snaffle this one for a pretty good deal um, uh. from, from Jala Arts. So shout out to that lot out there. They've got some wonderful artists. And uh, I've got a house full of art because I've got family who are who are artists, so uh, I'm lucky enough that I didn't necessarily have to pay for all of those, but <laughs> they're significant, significant to me because of the dream, the dreaming stories that they tell uh, in my family. And my mother is also a wonderful 
um, artist herself. So uh -huh. when I post this, I'll, I'll um, <laughs> maybe post uh -huh. some of her, uh, her oh. artworks up there uh, for people to see as well. But <laughs> that would be fantastic. My own mother is an artist in wool. Oh, <laughs> so wow. Yeah, yeah, with the needles. Well, you know, we do have uh, a beanie festival, which has been postponed this year, obviously, but every year we have this incredible beanie festival here in Alice Springs, and people send their beanies in from right around the world with some magnificent creations. So who knows, maybe your mum can, can send in for the, the beanie festival and the exhibition during that right. time. <laughs> Look, the audio went out just for a key second when you were talking about the desert exhibition could you give us the name again and maybe even the rough dates for the for exhibition sure. so the desert mob uh, exhibition is around august september every year and it involves um uh, artworks that are sent in from all of the uh remote right. um art centers throughout central australia uh desert mob and, that's the one. and you expect it to go on this year well, this year is probably, oh, actually, I'm not sure if it's happening. No, it's, actually, I will find that out. I'll have to double check whether that's going ahead. Uh, um, I know that there's a Telstra Art Award, which is a national award, uh, which is happening also in Darwin. Uh, that's another wonderful right. um, exhibition that takes place yearly. Uh, but I, I'd say it probably would be going ahead, um, given that you can view artworks online uh, right. and the the artist would just require to send their artworks in but i will double check <laughs> all right well i think that's going to be a wrap everyone listening out there instead of buying from that tacky tourist art store in sydney consider making the trip or going online to alice springs have a look at the desert mob art festival thank you very much jacinta for taking the time joining us today we really appreciate it i'd also like to thank our producer emily holmes and our executive producer max hawks a hawk weaver thanks everyone for listening and we will see you next week thank you